Welcome to the first episode of the second season of the Make Marketing Easy podcast. I'm your host, Joel Gaslin. In this information-packed episode, you'll hear from Vance Thompson. Dr. Thompson is an ophthalmologist in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and also has another business located in the Napa Valley that we'll talk about on today's show. What you'll learn in this episode is how a busy doctor feels about handwritten notes, Dr. Thompson's beliefs on the importance of human connections, a discussion about the LASIK market in the United States, a short eye-related technology discussion, and how Dr. Thompson and his team are building a very successful practice with a family mentality. I hope you enjoy this show. I'm very grateful for Vance's willingness to help me relaunch this podcast. If you wish to stay connected with me, please visit MakeMarketingEasy.com, put your email in the box in the upper right corner of the site, and you'll be notified when the next episode is available. Also, you'll get a free five-week checklist containing ideas to help you stay connected with your customers and prospects during this uncertain period in the history of our country. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Make Marketing Easy podcast. My guest today is Dr. Vance Thompson in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And Vance is an ophthalmologist and a, one of the first ophthalmologists that I would say I was had the opportunity to really get to know and become friends with many years ago. And Vance, it certainly, I remember we met the first time back in 1991 when I was just coming into the industry and you were relatively fresh out of your fellowship. And I'm very grateful that you, all the years we've known each other and all the things you've you've done for me and and also just it's been fun to watch your career take off the way it has. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Joel. I uh, value your friendship and this really means a lot to me to have such an important conversation. Yeah, thanks. Well, and what we are talking about today is as we're getting warmed up here, our conversation about sort of the events that are happening in the world right now. One of the things that, that we think about is, is you, know, you on the physician side and and we on the sort of commercial side of it is, well, how do we sort of stay connected in a, a time where it's prudent for us to not be uh, in your offices and operating rooms and things where we normally are, yet we still want to stay connected. So one of the things that I was working through is to put together some content to put out to help people do that. And, and one of the first things that came to mind for me was the notion of sending every one of your customers a handwritten thank you note. And and saying, you know, thank you for working with me and how much you value the relationship and, and sort of starting that way. And that made me think of you. So when is the last time that you received a handwritten note and how did it make you feel? Well, it's interesting. I get them frequently. And in this digital age where, wow, is it nice to hear from someone from a text or an email because they're thinking of you and especially, you know, during these challenging times with coronavirus and stuff. And, you know, it's all about people. And so any communication just means so, so very much. I've always said that one of the most powerful things we can do is make someone feel like they matter to us. And one of the most powerful things they can do for us is make us feel like we matter to them. And so whether it's a a phone call, uh, an in-person communication, a text or an email, they're all very powerful. But it's amazing to me that you've chosen the handwritten note as kind of the focus of this story because the intimacy of someone's handwriting and taking the time and the fuss to do that means so much. And so I actually 
like to, to feel like I treat this world well. And as a result, it treats me well. And I get quite a few handwritten notes, whether it's someone who appreciated their surgery or someone who appreciated a, a gift or something from my children or my wife. And so there's nothing to me besides being there, looking someone deep in the eye with your smile and eye contact, more powerful than a handwritten note. Yeah. And it's amazing. I, and I love, and I know you've, you've built your practice and your career on, on connections and, and being close to the patients. And I know that's the, the patient experience is a focus of your business. And I remember early in my career, you were kind enough to let me sort of shadow you for a day in your clinic. You may remember back in those days when you were at Ophthalmology Limited back down the that MB1 building, I think it was, or MB, and you're, you know, you had to kind of come down a little bit to go, or I guess you came, you're kind of in the back. So anyway, I was watching and, and observing and you, you were sitting across from, or you were talking with a patient and, and, and you, know, you said to the patient, you know, do you like my face? And, and, and the patient sort of took, took a, uh, was sort of taken aback and said, well, yeah, I do. I, I like your face. And, and, and then you went on to say, well, the reason I say that is because that we're, we're embarking on a, a, a journey together where getting you to the outcome that you're looking for, we may have a series of interactions. And I just want to make sure that you know that I'm here for you and, and that I'm here with you every step of the way. And, and to see that and to see the way that patient, I mean, I thought she was going to hug you. <laughs> and and I, it was just, it had a great impact on me and my career. So thank you for that. Thank you. So Vance, you've seen, in your career, you've seen a lot of sales reps that come and go over the years. And when you think about the ones who stayed connected with you, but not in a, in a pushy or obnoxious way, how did they do that? Well, I think that for one, just caring about me and my team and our patients. And so the reps and my father was a small town family doctor. And he was one that taught me early on that, you know, you learn a lot in medical school, but you learn a lot even more in residency and you, you know, learn even more in private practice. And one of your amazing sources of information and teachings are the representatives. And there's doctors out there who look at them as a hassle in their day. And he said, I look at them as, you know, some of the most important people in my practice life because they're teaching me how to be my best for my patients. And so I was coached early on by my father and my grandfather also, who was a small town family doctor. They both taught me about the importance of reps. So I went into my practice with that as my philosophy early on and, and noticed that some were supremely interested in the people in the practice, meaning me, my team or the patient. And some were, you know, maybe a little bit more interested in their product, but all had something to offer. But the ones that really, really went deep were the ones that were sensitive in how they developed that relationship with us and how they carried through with that relationship. And, and then, of course, brought their A-game when it came to understanding their product and how it mattered to our practice. And those are the reps that really left the deepest impression with me. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's, and, and it's a rarity. It's not easy to do. I, I, I've seen a lot of people come and go as well. And, and it's a personal commitment that people have to make. So you're a very good example of what I just described. Oh, thank you. And I, and I learned from, 
the best and you know who we're talking about. So it's um, so I'm I'm grateful for that too. Okay, so I appreciate all your thoughts on that. And I want to be respectful of your time. And and one thing I want to know that what the handwritten thing, which is interesting to me, is you have you know so much has talked in the world today about side hustles that people have and. And I've always been amazed and humbled by your side hustle of owning a winery. And so how long, not long ago, what, several years ago, came out with a, a brand called Handwritten. Talk to me about how that was sort of came to be and how that's going. Well, I, along with our best friends in medical school, so my wife and I and Dan and Becky Blue, who are our classmates in medical school, got into the wine business a little bit by accident um, in the early part of this century. And we took over this brand called Jessup Cellars, and and it was a little brand, and but you know made great wines, and and we took this over in a way where we really wanted to bring, since we're born and raised in South Dakota, and love how people are treated here on the plains of the Upper Midwest. We imagined this wine that was made in the Napa Valley, one of the greatest wine growing regions, combined with how we treat people here on the plains of the upper Midwest. So we like to call it the Napa Valley wine with South Dakota roots. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and uh, But it's having our own winery and having an amazing team and, and a growing brand. About 14 years ago, we started talking about doing a second label with a different theme. And we were trying to figure out a name for it. We knew we wanted something focused on Cabernet. We knew we wanted something totally different than Jessup Cellars, which has been known as what we call the art of the blend. And it is also themed with the visual arts. And it was my partner's wife who, as we were trying to figure out how to name this, she pulled out a handwritten note that her mother, and my partner's name is Becky Blue, and Becky pulled out this handwritten note from a drawer and was enjoying something of such power and value to her since her mother has passed on. And she thought, what a powerful name for a wine. And when she brought it to us, we were immediately smitten with it because we've taken pride in using old world handmade winemaking techniques Okay. and putting the thought and love into the wine a lot like a handwritten note. And that's kind of where it started. Great. And what's next for it? Is there something else that's coming along now next or what are your plans there? Well, really just to mature the handwritten brand, it's based on really, it's a Cabernet type project focused really on small lot, hillside, mountain, bold uh, Cabernets from the south part of the Napa Valley, the Carneros, all the way up to the north part, Calistoga and everything in between. Our winemaker, Rob Lloyd and assistant winemaker, Bernardo, have really captured the essence of it in the wine. But, you know, I think that the people part of it, our uh, handwritten tasting room in the south part of Yountville, we have Jessup on the north part of Yountville and handwritten wines on the south part of Yountville. And we actually call north Yountville no-yo and south Yountville so-yo. And we tell people <laughs> okay. to yeah. do the yo-yo <laughs> tasting so they get both <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> 
But, you know, what's next is really just to continue doing basically what we do in our practice. And that is make our team feel loved so that they make the customer feel loved and just to mature the brands. Great. Do you mind if we shift gears for a moment to the LASIK market? Just sort of the the broader market? Yeah. So I was looking at some data not long ago. It was a a chart in a software platform called Statista that I subscribe to that and it was the LASIK volume from 1996 sort of projected through 2020. And we all know it you know, kind of started off in 100,000 in 96, and then it shot up to about a little over a million in, in 2000. And then the you know, sort of 2000 recession hit, it fell to 700,000 or so, and then went up to about a million three in 2007. And then the 2008 recession hit, and it fell you know, down to about 600,000 is now sort of kicked along between six and 750,000, depending on sort of the numbers you look at. And it's kind of stayed there. Why do you think it never got back to the rate that it was? Because if you look at, you know, there are more people that are myopic, it's still 40% of the population is myopic. It just feels like it should get back up there. Why, why do you think it doesn't? Well, I think that early on, we were taking this procedure that was so beautiful. And here I had the honor of being the FDA monitored trials on LASIK and basically grew up with it, the indications, I think, have narrowed. And we've learned the sweet spot of this wonderful procedure. And and so I think that, you know, I say this delicately, but I think in essence, we did too much LASIK in the 90s. And what I mean by that is imagine a 62-year-old that is a minus three diopter myope that says they don't mind wearing reading glasses and they just really want to be able to do a lot without them. And we do their best corrected vision and it's 2020 and in the nineties that was considered with all else, you know, being a normal eye exam and good candidate, a good candidate for LASIK. And then for the next five years, they weren't maybe quite as happy with their nighttime image quality. And then, eventually had cataract surgery and they were happy. And my point is we've shifted towards understanding lenticular contributions to low light image quality. We have also drifted into no more phacic IOLs, especially with the STAR ICL growing in popularity. We used to do 10 and 12 diopter LASIK procedures. We used to do LASIK in the 60s, and we used to do more hyperopic LASIK when now refractive lens exchange has become more and more something we'll do at a younger and younger age, especially with the advancements in premium implants and being able to address both refractive air and the presbyopia issue. And so I look at the refractive market as PRK plus LASIK plus SMILE plus refractive lens exchange, plus fake eyewall, plus cataract surgery in somewhat earlier cataract, what I would maybe call the 2020 cataract. And when you look at it in that way, and then you combine it with the fact that in many of our practices, consults are up, I think refractive surgery is healthy. And so I ask people to be careful about using LASIK as the indicator for refractive surgery health. Oh, that's interesting. 
Yeah, it's funny. Early on, when I first was learning this business, and and you know, you and Dr. Lindstrom and other folks were teaching me, you were doing RK at that time, and I remember asking a cataract surgeon if he was doing refractive surgery, and he looked at me and said, "Well, I do cataract surgery, young man, and that makes me a refractive surgeon." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I was humbled by that and sort of stopped asking the question that way. So, well, you may remember that that in my fellowship, which I credit Dan Dury for getting me involved at first in the blind eye study at PRK is what led to me being involved in the, you know, sighted eye trials of PRK and LASIK and everything else since then. And so I started my career here in Sioux Falls doing both RK and PRK. And it was a really interesting perspective doing what was established then, but also participating in what was the future. And it was really an exciting time and an honor to be involved with that transition. I bet. Wow. That's uh, that's exciting. Yeah, you've seen a lot. What's What do you think is the next big thing? Light adjustable lens? You're pretty fired up on that, I think, aren't you? Yeah. To tell you the truth, I think multifocality is just really coming into its own, especially with trifocality. And the light adjustable lens has been amazing, adjusting a polymer versus someone's cornea and bringing the LASIK-like accuracy to cataract surgery. I think those two things, light adjustability and trifocality, are going to continue to grow. I think we're going to see SMILE continue to grow and grow. And that was uh, an exciting clinical trial to be involved with. And since approval, it's been Nice to see it grow in my practice. Patients value the biomechanical stability it brings and also the less dry eye. So it kind of brings what we like about PRK and LASIK together into one procedure. And so those are things that are really stimulating the practice right now. In the not too distant future, what I get excited about for one is allograft corneal inlays. You know, we went through the synthetic inlay journey. You know, the, the cornea just doesn't really like to have a foreign material in it, but it sure doesn't mind human collagen. We've been doing that for decades, and to now have that becoming a refractive procedure, I, I think is exciting for the future, but so is refractive indexing. I think that's going to be something that's going to grow and grow, and I I know for, you know, my research interests, that's that's kind of one of the next stage things. And so I, I think refractive surgery has a really uh, exciting future. Yeah, great. Yeah, well, we we do too. It's a really it's a, it's fun to be part of it. Now, in your practice, it's it's been impressive because when we when I first got to know you and you first sort of hung out your own shingle, you were in Sioux Falls and now you're in Fargo, Omaha, Alexandria, Minnesota, Bozeman, Montana, and Billings, Montana. Is that did I get every one of them? You did. Perfect. Yeah, that's impressive. What's the plan there? Well, we never uh, sat down and had a plan for growth, um, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Yeah. I mean, we uh, had some wonderful people that trained with us in our fellowship. Our fellowship is very robust. Our fellowship director is my partner, Dr. John Birdall, and we all work hard at training fellows, and, and we get close to them. And some of them have wanted to stay with us, but yet go to their home areas. And hmm. we're like, well, let's talk. And it's to yeah. some, you know, beautiful extension of our work family. And then 
Dr. Risfed in Alexandria, Minnesota, came with a similar idea. And so it's really been organic growth based on people that first have a true joy of each other and personally, and then of course, a real synergy as far as understanding how practice philosophy is. And, and, and so we don't know if we'll ever grow another center in our future. And we don't know if it's going to be twice as many, but right now we have our work family and we, we just are really enjoying the journey together. Well, that's great. And it's, you're certainly the gold standard for how to run a practice in the U S and I've had the opportunity to travel all around and go in and out of a lot of doors. And I, I haven't seen one that's, that's like yours. So congratulations on that. It's fun. Thank you, Joel. That really means a lot. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap it up, if you were to offer a person in this sort of environment right now, a, a salesperson or you know, company representative, that if they were looking to sort of add some value to people out there, to, to doctors, to be able to try and, and, and help them in this period, anything you could think of that might be helpful that you would say, hey, that's an interesting idea. I'd like to, I'd like to know more about that. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with our old fashioned values. I like to say we're progressive when it comes to technology and we're old fashioned when it comes to people. And I think if you go into an account, if you will, with that in mind, remembering what your parents taught you about respecting your elders and handshake and smile and eye contact and treating everybody equal from the front desk all the way to the top and creating a memorable experience, one that's worthy of a handwritten note. And then as you leave and you're fulfilled and they're fulfilled, follow up with a handwritten note. And even think about your words that are happening in an email or whatever communications you do, that you have a caring attitude at the heart of it. And you're going to enjoy not only great career fulfillment, but great career success. Oh, that's great advice. Wow. Thank you. That's good. Well, anything uh, that I haven't asked you about that maybe you'd like to talk about before we wrap it up? No, this has been an absolute joy. And I thank you very much, Joel. And I thank you, Vance. I'm grateful for your time and your friendship and everything else. So we'll, we'll be in touch. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thanks a lot for stopping by the Make Marketing Easy podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show today. I'm very grateful for Vance Thompson's participation in the show. It was really a lot of fun. Remember, if you wish to stay connected with me, please visit MakeMarketingEasy.com, put your email box in the upper right corner of the site, and you'll be notified when the next episode is available. Also, you'll get a free five-week checklist containing ideas to help you stay connected with your customers and prospects during this uncertain period in this history of our country. Thanks again. Have a great day.